Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game and issues an amber warning for hot puns and sweaty innuendo. I'm Kevin Day, he is Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. He'll be supplying most of the puns in the innuendo. Kieran, I think we should probably apologise to some of our listeners around the world for the fact that here in Britain it's the news headline when it gets a <laughs> little it gets a little bit hot. There are people around the world listening to this in the middle of forest fires. Yes. And the hottest summer of the year in places like Colorado, where my sister-in-law is. Hello, Fiona. <laughs> and, and, we're, and we're going. It's, it's, a, it's the lead story on the news. It's a bit hot. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible. And you went cycling this morning for some reason. Yeah, I, I did. Uh, I, I did thirty-three miles wearing my Marmite oh. uh, cycling top. Uh, so yeah, it was. Uh, it seemed like a good idea when I set off at half eight, and it didn't seem like a good idea about three hours later, when I was uh, sweating buckets. Hang on, is, is this an actual Marmite cycling top, or is it because you like it and the Baroness doesn't? No, no, it's an actual. It's a real Marmite one. Uh, really? My very, my very good friend Paul got it for me for my sixtieth birthday, as, as I am a bit of a, a Marmite uh, obsessive. Oh right, well, as, as you know, what guys like at this stage, I have to say other. Yeast extract based drinks are available, but I can't think of any that are. Is Bovril, does that count as? No, no, Vegemite. Oh, Vegemite, yeah, it might, might, yeah. Bovril's Bovril. very yeah. interesting. But you know, Bovril stands for bovine vril. Oh, really? Yeah, uh, oh, it's a long story, but it's, um, I think it's Edward Borer. Somebody wrote a book about this life essence called vril. And somebody thought, I wonder if cows have vril. And they decided to come up with this drink called bovine vril. That's, that's the, um, that's the gist. Anyway, you can... You can have, <laughs> and, and that's the BAFTA. And that's about gone. Yeah, yeah. I know that. I actually did a five-minute routine in my last Edinburgh show about it, so I should remember it. Uh, a routine that's a lot funnier than I made that sound, I have to say. Uh, it's questions day, uh, Kieran. Indeed. Uh, and if you can hear ice, by the way, it's because we're not we're not recording as normal on Sunday morning. We are recording on Saturday night. So there is ice involved. And yes, it is in a glass of wine. So... <laughs> those, of you, those of you thinking he started early, nine o'clock in the morning, it's, <laughs> I've got a glass of wine and next to that I've got a glass of clementine juice because, my God, it's hot, Kieran, isn't it? It's so hot. <laughs> oh, it should be on the news. <laughs> now, our first question comes from Robert Elliott and it's about uh, an issue we've discussed a lot recently, which is catering. But I don't think Robert's uh, emailed because of that because you know our waiting list is so long he would have said this way before <laughs> yes. we discussed it. Uh, but Robert says, I have a question regarding the catering at football stadium. My sons and I 
our season ticket holders at QPR. And we always eat and drink at the pub before we go into the ground. This is mainly to do with the poor quality beer options at the ground, the queues at the food kiosks and the high costs. I assume these kiosks are outsourced to catering companies on a season or two season long contract. But can you explain more how these work and the cost involved? It's an interesting one, Kieran, because for the, uh, the whole of last season since we came back, everyone at Sellers Park, season ticket holders, gets an email on the Friday saying, why not come to the ground at one o'clock? <laughs> avoid those queues and it's because our part of the ground it's it's cramped it's horrible mm. there's no room uh, anybody's been to the away end at Sellers Park that's where we are just along from there so that's the last place you want to be before the ground before the game same at half time it's, it's a long time to get a drink the quality is neither here nor there and I think you expect quality really I, I know the lovely people at uh, uh, Piglet Pies uh, providing top quality stuff but you're not really there for the the quality, but it's an interesting question. Now, are, are these are they all outsourced? Are there some clubs doing the catering in house? Um, the the vast majority of clubs are doing it uh, on an outsourcing basis yeah. because they've got enough things to manage without things going disastrously wrong on match day, and and you've got somebody else to blame. Uh, if if things don't work out, um, as as far as uh, Robert's comment about the the poor quality beer options. Um, the problem is if you've got a match taking place you know, once every two weeks, you've, you've got to you've got to clear your, your beer lines at the end of every match because the beer will turn. You know, what, what will go in the pipes? So so it is actually quite expensive to to provide beer um, at football grounds because of the way that the uh, you know, the, the pipe systems work. So and we had somebody on very early doors on the show talking about them, which was quite an eye-opener. Mm. Um, as, as far as the queues are concerned, it's it, it's a problem of, of supply and demand. You've got people wanting food in 45 minutes before the match starts, 10 to 15 minutes at half-time, and depending on whether you've won or lost, <laughs> perhaps afterwards as well. Um, so so there's, there's these huge peaks in demand. Um, and, and trying to get that right, especially – you know, if, if you take a club like Palace, who's, who's who's got a ground which has been there for a long time, mm. and the ground was not built with the idea of catering being a significant revenue source, uh, yeah, was the case. If we, if we look look at Spurs, Spurs, Spurs are now you know, bringing in a million pounds a match yeah. from catering, but they they had the, the new stadium built with the the intention of relieving you of your wallet. Uh, as 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 much as as they can, and the concourses are very wide. They they've got this system in terms of uh, supplying beer, which is quicker than uh, at the other grounds, and so on. So you've really got to future proof it if if you're going to make money out of catering. Uh, you know the likes of Sodexo, you know, as, as you as you said yourself, why 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 bust a gut when people expect pretty low standards in in respect of pies? Although when we when we had Joe from from piglets on, you know, they they initially were hoping to sell two and a half thousand pies a match, and due to the quality, they're, they're now selling ten thousand. So, if if you put something out there which is of high quality, people will eat it. Um, I, th- I think there are a few clubs that are still of the view that people will only eat food, the, the catering at a football match. You know, as a last resort or, or as a means of lining their stomach before uh, you know, a couple of swift ones. And and I think that's perhaps counter, counterproductive. Uh, I, I, I think I still owe an apology to Joe from Piglet Pies. I, I understand she's only just emerged from the darkened room in which she had to have a lie down after I said that the first thing I do when I get a pie is 
put a hole in it and squidge ketchup around it. <laughs> it's generally upset. The, the problem is, Kieran, selling tea and coffee at football, it just drives everybody up the wall. You, you finally get to the front and some yes. idiot asks for eight cups of coffee and then starts asking whether they've got artisan coffee from Nicky oh, They shouldn't sell tea and coffee. Taste them. Anyway, John Lish has our next question. John Lish says... Um, he says it's quite a cynical question, Kieran. He says it's upset. Well, John, we're not cynics, though. We're not cynics, so We, we no. wouldn't have recognised whether... And, and, uh, unless he told us, as he has, it's a cynical question, we simply wouldn't have known this was a simple question. Cynical question, indeed. It's not simple. It's definitely not simple. It is uh, no. totally cynical. Um, John Lish's cynical question is about transfer free fees prompted by my club, Pompey, Portsmouth, selling, in inverted commas, Ellis Harrison to Fleetwood. Ellis was bought for a reported £450,000 from Ipswich Town in 2019 on a three-year deal, amortisation, 150k a year, and became one of the club's high earners. So after two and a half years, says John, his book value should be Mm £75,000. Pompey said they received a nominal fee from Fleetwood. Now, says John, as I am a cynical bar steward, and what an amazing coincidence that we have a question about bars and a bar, we've got a bar steward asking the next question. That's amazing, isn't it? Um, as he's a cynical bar steward, uh, I'm thinking that this isn't a cash-positive situation for Portsmouth. As Ellis hasn't asked for a transfer, and it's likely he's moving to a lower-value contract, my expectation is that Pompey are making some payments to smooth the transition and that the fee has some benefit in accounting terms rather than in cash. How much of my cynicism is justified... And how much is my is it just my bar steward nature? You might have, you might have to recap that one, Kieran, for, for the people that drifted off halfway through. Yes, uh, and I do like the fact that this transfer took place in January, and then we were answering it yeah, in July, yeah, yeah, yeah. Which, which I think is indicative of of the big pile yeah. of of questions. But we will we will get round to everyone somehow. Uh, we haven't worked quite out how we'll do it, but we well, will. And, and as, as we're going to find out soon, Kieran, it's, it seems that the best way of getting a question asked on this pod is to call yourself Larkin Hogle. <laughs> I don't know what it is he's got on, on Guy, but he's, clearly he's got photographs or something because he's, he's got another question coming up later. But anyway, John, John Lish is uh, cynical and, and uh, full of detailed question. Yes. Um... If, if we take a look at the position of Ellis, Ellis Harrison, he, uh, he he was signed for a for you know a, sig- a significant fee for a League One club, yeah, four hundred and fifty grand. Um, he he got twenty goals in eighty four games, which you know, at League One level is okay. You know, ten goals a season. You're perhaps hoping for a bit more. Hmm. Um, and I, I think he would he would be, he w- he wouldn't have been offered a new contract or a new contract on particularly good terms. Um, at the end of his three years. So when Fleetwood came uh, sniffing round and they offered him an 18-month contract, you, you can see the benefit here for the player. Um, so in terms of Pompey, would they have got, uh, would they have paid him up for the remaining six months of his contract? I don't think so, um, simply because I've, I've looked at the the figures in terms of uh, the wage bills for Fleetwood and Pompey, and um, yeah, Fleetwood's one of those clubs that fly underneath the radar. Mm. But 
they they've lost sixty grand a week for the last five years. Yeah, they wow. they, they they rack up big losses. They're, they're paying wages one hundred and sixty quid for every hundred pounds that's coming through the door. Uh, How much? One hundred and sixty. Well, that's championship basket case level, isn't it? <laughs> that is basket case. Yeah. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, I thought. Yeah, you know, yeah, we, we know that Pompey have got a big fan base, but Pom- Pompey's actually uh, run on a, on a fairly tight ship. So it, it could be that uh, they, uh, Fleetwood just gave a a very small sum of money um, for for the transfer. The, the player got an eighteen month contract. Pompey got a player who hadn't been ripping up the trees off their wage bill, and everybody was happy. So I don't think there's anything to be cynical about. I think it's more due to the fact that perhaps the player hadn't uh, delivered uh, in terms of the expectations uh, of of the people that recruited him, and uh, it was in the best interest of everybody for him to move on. Do you think, Kieran, that it's partly our fault that some football fans are getting cynical in that maybe five or six years ago, a team would sell a player and everyone would go, well, he's not been brilliant, so we're selling him. But now everyone is looking for a hidden reason. Now everyone assumes it's to do with FFP or, or impairment or whatever the words it, that we throw about. It does seem that fans are more cynical these days about, about moves. No, no one can just move from one club to another anymore, can they, without there being an ulterior reason? Yeah, yeah. I, I, don't, I don't, think we, don't think we can take credit for it. We, we've certainly not helped. No. Um, but... Uh, uh, I think after the experiences of what we've seen at clubs like Berry and Macclesfield and mm-hmm. you know, the, the ongoing problems at Rochdale, you know, we were talking about Swindon last week and so on, uh, the, the, there, is a, there is a lack of trust uh, in football, uh, I think, in respect of many fan groups um, and the people that own them. And uh, I think that's reflective of, of a much broader issue in terms of a lack of trust uh, on a societal level. But you know, th- this this is not a sociology uh, podcast. It's it's a football finance one. But but that 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 degree of cynicism has has come simply because the the, the trust relationship has broken down. I like your implication that one of the things we are more exciting than is sociology. <laughs> tell you one thing about that football finance pod it's, it's better than sociology um and it's a very good point and, and talking of uh transfers i will be asking you on thursday in our news pod how the, how the bloody hell barcelona can be affording Lewandowski when after everything you've told me about their financial situation and the fact they've got about nine world-class strikers in the book already our next question comes from alex carter and alex carter says i'm not a berry fan but I'm a Southport fan who lives in Bury and attends matches at Bury and Radcliffe occasionally. Uh, Alex, if you attend matches at Radcliffe occasionally, then that very tall, very handsome young goalkeeper, Tom Stewart, is my cousin. Uh, obviously, like all football fans, says Alex, I've been pleased to see the progress being made with Bury coming out of administration and the return of football to Gig Lane. But one thing that would stick in my craw, though, would be if Steve Dale has made any money out of this. Uh, quite a few people have asked us this, Kieran, over the... Uh, the last few weeks has he made any money from the club coming out of administration um from what we have seen i think the answer is no uh, i think steve dale tried to to leverage on on berry's uh, financial uh, crisis um and, and he took he took an, an element of a gamble uh, it looks like he bought some of the the debts owed to the club from another institution which had gone into administration to get some money out of that uh, that doesn't look like that's going to materialize 
So, um, you know, we're, we're not fans of Steve Dale at all, uh, but uh, I don't think he has benefited financially from this. He's he's a traditional bottom dweller in the sense that he, uh, he, he tries to acquire distressed assets and extract money from them. I think in terms of the way that the Berry Football Club issues exploded um, and, and the club being uh, expelled from the EFL, uh, he probably didn't anticipate that and he's, he's it probably cost him a bit of money as a result. Um, now, here's that question from Larkin Hogel that I promised. Uh, as we've discussed before, we're still not convinced that Larkin Hogel isn't Guy or <laughs> one of his family. I, I, I think putting two and two together in the fact that Larkin's clearly... In Australia, it probably isn't, Guy. But it's it, there's there's some there's some mysterious reason why Larkin's questions are getting nodded through. Nothing personal, Larkin. They're always good questions, but you know, not that we're cynical. Uh, and Larkin Hogel says, <laughs> I, "I once took an economics of sport class to fulfil some university requirements." No, you didn't, Larkin. You don't have to pretend. That's fine. Uh, Larkin says, "My professor opened the course by telling us how we were all in the class only because sport was in the title." And in brackets, Larkin says he was not wrong. Although I'm tempted to say, because he's in Australia, it wasn't wrong, mate. Um, uh, but it, uh, is it appropriate to mention rugby? No, it's not appropriate to mention rugby. In this is it. Yeah. Uh, but in larger economic terms, sport is not very impressive, said Larkin's teacher. For example, Walmart alone turns over more revenue than all the American sports leagues combined. Now, you've discussed this before, Kieran, and it's normally mm. um, well, journalists use things like the size of whales to explain, <laughs> or the size of two red buses. And you always use Bet365. You oh, bet, you, bet, you've seen my mind map, haven't you? I know, yes, I have. You say Bet365 is, is, is worth more than the Premier League and so on. But um, Larkin says, can you put the Premier League, the English football pyramid as a whole, and if you can muster an effort, says Larkin, which is a bit rich, considering he's, every single question he puts, we answer. Um, football is a global sport in relation to other industries, individual companies, financially. The athletes earn a ton of money, for obviously, but... Does a big football club help town more than an industry with a large factory, for example, employing ten percent of said town? Which is a good question. Yeah, it's a it's, it's a fair fair question. Um, how many other industries do do you know that are open once a fortnight? Yeah, for ten months of the yeah, year. Yeah, yeah, and and, and th- this is going to answer the question. So I'd actually written down here um, the Premier League and the EFL combined generate just over six billion pounds a year. Uh, bet three six five takes ten times that amount of money wow. in in bets in wages. Now, you know, bet three six five's got relatively low margins. Yeah. If you compare it to Apple, for um, uh, for every one pound that's generated by by the whole of English football, um, Apple generates sixty, and and that's that's a company with what three products? Yeah. So you know, and and uh, Apple makes profits of 109 billion. So again, that's that, that's what 15 times. So uh, I think Larkin's right in the sense that his uh, his his professor was is effectively saying what I think we have said on more than one occasion: football is a small industry with a big mouth and mm. with an awful lot of attention. So you know, I, I was on Twitter this morning, and we've we've got journalists, uh, we've got you know, uh, UK journalists flying across to Australia to comment upon friendly matches taking place and then turning up at the uh, yeah, Manchester United's new kit is being yeah. brought yeah. out today, 
Well, yeah, to, to me, that's 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 not essential journalism. Yeah, it, yeah. but but it but it will get an awful lot of likes. It will get an awful lot of debate. Um, and uh, I actually thought the kit looked quite got half decent as well. But that that's a separate story. Uh, not as good as the the Bradford City uh, chocolate and cream. Cookbook. York City, yeah, York, City. So, York City, York City. Yeah. Sorry. Um, so, uh, in in respect of Larkin's question, would a local football club? Uh, generate more than than a, a, a factory employing ten percent? No, no. Uh, fo- football clubs are tiny. There mm. there will be in in a. You know, you know, we we went to Accrington, uh, and we saw our friend Andy Holt, um, and you know, Accrington turnover you know, three four billion pounds, sorry, three or four million pounds a year. Um, there there will be plenty of companies in Lancashire that will do a huge multiple of that, mm. uh, but. They will go under the radar. Yeah, if, if if you want to if, if you want to make money and uh, you know, ensure that nobody knows about it, d- don't buy a football club. You can make money elsewhere. That um, what you've just talked about, Kieran, uh, in relationship to Larkin's last sentence about a football club as a business in a town compared to other businesses who do more for the town. It, that that's a, the stick that people who don't understand football, some of whom are MPs used to beat people like us when we say that a football club should never be allowed to go to the wall because they will say well you don't have the same feelings about any other industry in that town or city which is not true um but there is a germ of truth in that Kieran, isn't there? we we know the reason why we think a football club should never go to the wall but in in just purely financial and economic terms it, it doesn't make a difference to a, a town as much as say a steelworks going out of business would do with it you're absolutely right. I mean, but what I would say in defence of the football teams, and this was something you know, I hate. To, I hate to bring up the subject of Derby County, mm. but if Derby County had gone out of business, then that city would have lost part of its identity yeah. on yeah, on a global sphere because the English football results are scrutinised. You know, Derby County has been in the Premier League, and when it's when, especially when it's hosting Chelsea or Manchester United or Liverpool or City or you know, the big clubs around, um, it does generate uh, a, a lot of attention, um, yeah, not not just locally, um, at, but in in intangible ways, which are actually very difficult to to put a true monetary value on. That doesn't stop management consultants from making up numbers um, left, right, and centre to, to justify their fees. But um, there, there, there is no doubt that a, a football club, uh, first of all, it, it provides a sense of identity for the people and a sense of community and a sense of togetherness, which, again, are intangibles. Uh, but it, it, in terms of profile, it's good for the city or town as well. Yeah. I wouldn't apologise for mentioning Derby, Kieran. I, I think it's best that we do mention them every now and then. It's like weaning people off tranquilizers. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think we can just suddenly not have Derby on because that's too much. Going cold turkey straight away probably wouldn't help. Um, Cam Gray has our next question. Cam's question is this. Given the amount of money involved in football advertising set against the ever-growing volume of illegal streams, do even the broadcasters or advertisers take into account the audience number on dodgy feet? From an advertiser's perspective, it's extra eyes for free. And for a broadcaster, it's potentially extra dosh for extra eyes on products in renting advertising space. An interesting one. And a cynical one as well, yeah, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but a fair, a fair question. Um, 
explicitly, the answer would be no. You 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 cannot as uh, if if you're trying to agree a going rate for a a match which is being broadcast. Um, you you cannot say well yeah we'd normally expect to get around uh, yeah one point five million people watching this on Sky, but according to uh, a, a collective I don't know what the collective noun is for Uncle Terry's but uh, <laughs> according to all all the Uncle Terry's that we know in the country we reckon there's probably another three million people watching it on 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 hooky hooky streams. Mm. Um, you, know, you you try selling that to a a blue chip uh, company that's wanting to place adverts. And and they're going to walk away. So I, I absolutely understand where where Cam is coming from, and and I think he he does make a valid point. But uh, in terms of selling eyeballs, you can only go with the, uh, the 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 appropriate number, which which the broadcasters show. Having said that, um, you know the likes of Sky and BT are are very very coy. Uh, in terms of giving out uh, the number of people who who watch football live, and I think people would be surprised um, at how uh, how few people watch some matches. I mean, there there can be. I know for some Premier League matches, I've heard the figures can be low as you know, two hundred and fifty thousand. Mm. Which uh, you think, oh, well, this is the Premier League, and you know, Sky are paying ten million pounds a match for this, but um, you know. We we know, and, and you know, if, if if it was Brighton versus Burnley, or if it, if it was you know, Palace versus Bournemouth, or something like that, then um, there is a limited market. Uh, yeah, and yeah, you know, so, some people will watch it because it's football and it's on live, but uh, other people still need to be attracted to watch the the matches. What well, the the thing with Sky is, Kieran, and indeed BT, that most people, apart from live sport, don't tend to watch Sky or BT. Um, yeah. I, I worked on a show, um, Sky Sport, which one episode of which attracted five hundred thousand people, and it was it was champagne time because that was considered a huge figure, and that's a figure that on even on ITV two or ITV three would be considered a disastrous figure. And it's the same oh, with, really? yeah. with BT. I mean, BT have got some some brilliant documentaries, some brilliant sports documentaries. Yes. So I'd, I'd yes. be amazed if more than a hundred thousand people. Are watching them across every time they're, they're broadcast. So it, it's it's. I mean, those figures you talk about for football are surprisingly low. But in in the context of how many people watch Sky, anyway, they're they're not. To mm. be honest. Uh, I'm still trying to think of a name for a, a collective name for Uncle Terry. So I started with a flyover of Uncle Terry, but that, <laughs> that didn't seem quite right somehow. Uh, a foundation of Uncle Terry's. Is crotch discomfort hurting your game? Fear no more. The kings of crotch comfort, Manscaped, have spent two years designing the most comfortable boxer briefs out there. Sleek, soft, comfortable, flexible. The brand new Boxers 2.0 from Manscaped take your little fellas to the royal ball throne. We think it's time you invest in your family jewels. So let your bulge breathe and get 20% off and free shipping with the code Price of football at manscaped.com. That's price of football in big letters for your little fellas at manscaped.com. Absolutely. And the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is the best electric trimmer for below the waist grooming. Their fourth generation trimmer features a cutting edge ceramic blade to reduce those grooming accidents that none of us want. 
thanks to their advanced skin safe technology. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower, and it's got a 400K LED spotlight for a more precise shave, so you can check what you're cutting. And we know for a fact that James Bond manscapes. So if you want to join the governor, get 20% off and free shipping with the code PRICEOFOOTBALL at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use code PRICEOFOOTBALL. Up your crotch game, because once the boxes 2.0 touch your sack, you will never go back. This episode of The Price of Football is brought to you by the AI-powered workspace Notion. What if you had access to tomorrow's tools today? In Notion, you do. It's the AI-powered workspace where any team can turn ideas into action. My career is sort of a bit like being a butterfly, and I'm always jumping from project to project. So therefore, Notion helps me from summarising meetings notes and automatically generating action items to getting answers to any question in seconds. If you can think it, you can make it. And Notion is for everyone, whether you're a Fortune 500 company or a freelance football finance lecturer. You can try Notion for free when you go to notion.com slash price of football. That's all lowercase letters, notion.com slash price of football and start turning ideas into action. That's notion.com slash price of football. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hi, I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode, we discuss the very latest goings-on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry, or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works, or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. Andrew Carruthers, I suspect maybe a Newcastle fan. Andrew Carruthers says, with the change in his sponsorship rules regarding related parties being used to seemingly curb Newcastle spending, brackets, but not Man City, Leicester, or other deals already in place, (laughs) are there any rules regarding loans from national banks? For example, could the Saudi National Bank lend Newcastle £500 million on a 50-year interest-free loan to circumvent not only sponsorship rules, but FFP also? God, that's, it sounds, this is the most cynical show we've ever done. <laughs> I don't know. See, I don't know enough about football finances even now to know whether that's cynical or not. Just Forrest Gump simplicity. Just go. Well, why, why could they? I don't know. Um, well, could could the uh, Saudi National Bank lend Newcastle five hundred million pounds? Well, well, the answer is no, because it goes against the principles of Islamic finance. So, ah, right. Okay. There, there, there's a set, but there's a, but if. Uh, 
could another bank do it? Um, yes, they could. Could they do it interest-free, presumably because they are connected to the uh, yeah, the government or the, the ruler of a country? Um, yes, that could be done. Does this give an FFP benefit? Um, well, unfortunately, it, it doesn't. And the, and the reason for that is that if you borrow money, um, whilst you get £500 million in your bank account, it is not treated as revenue uh, for FFP purposes. So it, it would it would automatically circumvent FFP because FFP is revenue less costs and revenue comes from ticket sales, broadcast and commercial revenues plus your profits on, pl- on player sales. So it, it's completely outside of the the remit of FFP because ultimately it, it's a loan which has to be repaid rather than revenue which is generated from selling things and, it, and it's revenue less cost which is uh, the basis of your FFP calcs. Our next question is about FFP, Kieran, and I understand what you're saying about cynicism, but I think it's difficult for our listeners to ask a question about FFP that isn't cynical. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I don't think there is an innocent, open question about FFP, and I think the the one obsession we know our fans are obsessed with kits. We know that they're interested in amortisation. We know they're interested in agents transfer fees. But the FFP regulations, profit and sustainability, whatever you call it, are the one thing that our listeners keep coming back to mm-hmm. because we haven't got to the bottom of it. I don't think anybody has. It's a, it's a really difficult subject for us all to comprehend, and everyone's obsessed with the idea that there are ways around it. So Michael Dunn has this question about FFP. And Michael Dunn says, when David Beckham went to the MLS, I recall that as part of his contract, he was given the option to buy a franchise at a future date which he then did with Inter Miami and made millions selling off a share of the team. Could a Premier League club offer something similar to get round FFP? For example, Newcastle seems to be the example du jour. <laughs> yes. if, if Newcastle wanted to buy Mbappe but keep his astronomical wages out of the FFP calculation, could they offer him an option to buy 10% of the club for a nominal amount? Or would the Premier League have a mechanism for including the value of this offer in their calculation? In US sports, it's fairly common for the biggest stars to become team owners at some point, which presumably is a trend we could see in football now that top players earn equivalent amounts over their career. Can you see that as a trend that might be coming along, Kieran? Um, I, I think not, because uh, if, if we go back to uh, a story we've covered in a couple of times, I remember Gareth Barry and Swindon Town. Mm. Um, where did he own part of the club or didn't he? It's never really been resolved because uh, it, it looked as if the the paperwork maintained uh, by Swindon Town, and we and we again we, we covered this on on uh, a, a recent show um, was uh, was uh, was sketchy. I think is the politest way of describing it. So um, yeah, the, the pre- as- I, think, I think we should say there, Kevin, the previous owners uh, of Swindon yes. Town, not not the yes. not the current owners, just in case. Yes, yes. Don't absolutely. Leave power. Yeah. Um, so you're you're not allowed to have an interest in two clubs. So so the problem that would arise here is what happens if Kylian Mbappe went to Newcastle United, was given an option to buy ten percent of the club. Now that would actually be covered under something which was referred to as share based payment, and therefore what you do is that you put the the cash equivalent of that benefit in as a wage cost. So it, it wouldn't be able to circumvent FFP, um, but it, it would it would give the accountants, uh, would get, keep them quite giddy. Um, 
But if Kylian Mbappe, let's say he, he he signed for Newcastle in a year's time, signed a four-year contract, and after three years, he, he moved to Real Madrid. Um, he would be at Real Madrid, but he would have an option to buy a share in Newcastle. That would fall foul of the you cannot have an interest in two clubs rule. So, so therefore, it, it wouldn't uh, be successful. I also would, uh, I also would suspect that uh, if uh, if other clubs in the Premier League uh, became suspicious that this might be the case, what they would do is, as we saw when the the Newcastle deal by PIF was announced, they immediately started changing the rules to try to to future-proof anything in respect of Newcastle. So I I think there could be an emergency meeting and all of a sudden any any share options uh, in in respect of deals would would go off the scale, would go off, off the table. I don't think it could be done anyway under the general rules, but even if it could, there there would be I think there would be a, you'd have to show it as a wage cost, and B, the Premier League would uh, would sort of do their whack-a-mole approach to to everything in in respect of Newcastle uh, since since the acquisition. Uh, now we're on our penultimate question already, Kieran, which is which is strange, uh, considering we've got uh, about a two-year waiting list uh, to get a question <laughs> answered on the show, unless you're Larkin Hogan, of course. I, I can only assume that a Guy went outside to fan himself with a handful of fivers. And forgot to come in. And, Fivers. And, and, <laughs> sorry. Well, it, it, Careful. Five, well, don't insult, guy. No, Fiverr is, is, is lightweight summer money. Yeah, it just it's, <laughs> right, okay. they're, the, they're the lightest notes. So it's just that's his that's his summer. <laughs> that's Fiverr's is tipping money. <laughs> um, and it comes from Trevor Godfrey. And we spoke recently um, about the fact that the Canadian men's team went on strike because they wanted parity with the women's team, which mm. is a refreshing uh, change. But Trevor Godfrey wants an update about a similar situation. Trevor Godfrey says, I remember reading about the US women's national team taking their bosses' US soccer to court over a pay disparity. Did that get resolved? Yes, it has been resolved um, to the, I think, the satisfaction of all concerned as far as uh, both sets of players are concerned. Um the, the issue uh, between the, the U.S. women's national team, who, of course, have been very successful uh, at, uh, at, World, at, at Women's World Cups, yeah. um, and the men's teams, who have, yeah, they, they, they qualify on a regular basis, and, and they, they've, made, they've made some progress uh, in, in some tournaments, um, was that the, the representatives of the women's team would say, well, hold on, you, know, you look, at, look at the viewing figures. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic. The, you know, the men's team... Uh, they're not generating perhaps the same amount of interest because there's there's lower expectation. Um, but why, under those circumstances, are the men's team uh, getting higher bonuses? I, I think in terms of match fees, there, there has been broad parity for some time, um, but match fees don't don't tend to be particularly high for, for national teams. Mm. But what we do see is huge incentivization. So you know, if you if you get through the group stages, if you win the round of 16 if you win the quarterfinals and and those bonuses uh, by all accounts were significantly higher for the men's team than the women's team so 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 why that why is that the case well it's you know, it's 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 terrible thing to say it it comes down to money um you know fifa pay 38 million dollars uh, in prize money uh for for a, a side that does does well compared to 4 million 
uh, for the women's competition. So um, that's partly due to the fact that as far as the women's uh, World Cup is concerned, the value of the broadcast rights and, and the value of the commercial deals that are struck by FIFA are lower. And FIFA's argument is, well, we've got less money coming in from the women's game compared to the men's game. So therefore, we're going to give less money out as prize money. And therefore, the national associations are saying, well, if we're generating less money in prize money from the women's competition, we've got to give them less money. So so that's been the argument uh, traditionally put forward by uh, by US soccer. Um, but uh, the the case now has been resolved. And Going forwards, there is going to be parity, not only in terms of uh, 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 match fees, but also in terms of prize money. Um, and you, know, you, you can you can see the rationale behind that. Um, and, and I think it's uh, yeah, there is satisfaction on, on both sides here. Our last question comes from Curtis Harley, which is one of the coolest names we've had for a while. <laughs> uh, there's a 1950s film, and Curtis Harley came along. You'd know he'd be a bad boy. He'd be a bad boy that the girl fell with for. A twink, with a twinkle in his eye. Oh, he'd have a twinkle in his eye and a guitar, obviously. But yeah, <laughs> um, and Curtis Harley has a question about his club, Huddersfield Town. Uh, and Curtis, is, on a recent pod, you mentioned that Marcus Evans was interested in purchasing, purchasing shares in Huddersfield. Uh, it's been said by some of us that his motivation for investing this money is so it could be a tax write-off on his wealth. I'd love to know if this is common practice by wealthy individuals and maybe a motivation for people like Mike Ashley to want to get back into football with Derby. Another cynical question, Kieran? <laughs> Another cynical, Another cynical question. question? Yeah, yeah. Perhaps, perhaps it's the weather. But it, it can't be because this, prob- this question was probably written in January. I imagine so. Yeah. <laughs> okay, it's not, it's not the hot weather turning our listeners. Um, are there some tax benefits in buying into a loss-making business? Uh, well, well, yes, there are in the sense that you don't you don't pay any tax because you're not making any money. Uh, but if if you spend thirty million pounds on a loss-making football club and it doesn't make any money, you don't pay any tax. Could you have done something more lucrative with that thirty million pounds and made some profits and then paid tax on it? Yes, you could. So. I, I personally don't see this as as a driving factor. Um, if you are a highly successful individual in your own industry, in your own right, and uh, you know, we, we know that Mike Ashley is a, is a controversial figure. He is also a successful controversial figure yeah. in terms of his his, uh, his his business in terms of generating profits. Um, you you tend to think that you uh, you've got the Midas touch, and you can turn a company which is losing money into into one which is making money. And and in the case of Mike Ashley, he did that. You know, Newcastle United made a profit of around about thirty to forty million pounds if if you take the the fourteen years uh, in which he. Uh, he, he was involved with the, the club, and, and then of course he he made further profits when he sold the club um, to to PIF and Amanda Staveley and the Rubin brothers. So I, I think that's that, that's part of the reason these, these people buy the clubs. It's it's based on they think that they can make money. Some of them do. Most of them don't. In, in the case of Marcus Evans, he he really got his fingers burned. At Ipswich, Ipswich were were losing probably eight or nine million pounds a year uh, on on a regular basis, as far as his his period of ownership was concerned. Um, can he transfer those losses to Huddersfield? Uh, probably not, because Huddersfield's losing money as well. So um, I I don't believe that the tax system 
operates as a driver of interest by wealthy people in football clubs. Um, you know, we, we go back to the you know, what I believe to be the four reasons, which is which is profit, um, profit, vanity, insanity, and love. Mm. Um, and uh, you know, Mike Mike Ashley did it for profitable reasons. Marcus Evans, perhaps perhaps that was his motivation. Perhaps he feels he's learnt lessons from his experience at Ipswich, and perhaps he could replicate that at Huddersfield. We, we don't know. You know he, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a gentleman that uh, enjoys his privacy. Um, it could be that you know, we know that football is addictive as fans. Well, it could also be addictive if you're an owner. It just just because of the. Uh, the, the profile it gives to you, uh, the the decision making that you're involved with, the nature and the sort of the fame of the people that you're involved with, yeah, that that's a fairly seductive mix. And I mean, Ipswich Town are a case of a, a family who, for about thirty years, owned Ipswich, mm. who, who probably did do it for love, didn't they? Was it the Cobbold family, wasn't it? It was the Cobbold family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and just in terms of, of tax gear, I presume. Mike Ashley would be paying some fairly hefty tax on the profit he made from selling Newcastle, would he? Um, potentially, yes. But uh, you know, as, as I always say to people, if if you if you want to pay less tax, be less successful. Right. Okay. Yeah, that's um, so that uh, will he be able to roll over the profits into something else? Um, possibly. But uh, I think the tax authorities are taking a, a, a stronger line in respect of things like this. Into something else, you mean something else within his sports direct? Some, some something else within football, probably. Oh, okay. Um, well, the, right. the, the, the rules the rules do change on quite a regular basis. So, sorry, Kim, does, does that imply then that he could make, uh, yeah, uh, whatever it is, say as a a figure plucked out there, yeah, fifty million pound profit selling Newcastle? But then say to the tax people, well, I'm going to buy Derby with that and I'm going to blow that profit, so I'm not going to pay tax. Is that how it works? There, there, there is something called rollover relief. Wow. Um, is it? Which, That's <laughs> yes. Fiddley's favourite, I believe, is it not? <laughs> I think it's it's a favourite of some some other of, of our friends. <laughs> we, we'd rather not talk yeah. about Um but uh, where effectively the profits from one business you can reinvest into another business, um, but when you ultimately sell your final business, you you pay tax on everything. Oh, okay. So they do keep a tab on it then. And, uh, so oh, they, yeah, they yeah. Oh, absolutely. I'm relieved about that. Um, thank you to everybody who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, go to Patreon.com/slash/PriceOfFootball. Although when you hear the news we have for you next week you might even might make a, a slightly bigger monthly contribution to the pod, or you may tell us to bugger off, but we'll see. <laughs> but we have we have finally come up with some kind of benefit for our loyal patrons. Uh, of course, if you have a question you'd like answers on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com or ask Larkin Hogle for the special address that he uses. <laughs> and obviously that comes kind of speeding. And in the meantime, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Uh, well, as as always, as Kevin said, thank you all so much for all the support. Um, and uh, we're also in a position to now confirm that we will be taking the show live to Plymouth Argyle on September the 27th. Uh, Plymouth have uh, put this out on, on their website and, and a photograph of myself and Kevin uh, when, when we were looking a lot younger. Um, 
But well, we were but we, to be we, we were a lot younger. <laughs> we, we were two, possibly <laughs> we were two and a half years younger, and we hadn't gone through a two year pandemic since. <laughs> and, and and we weren't cynics in those days. We weren't. It's funny that, isn't it? They were with, with the cheery smile of two non cynical people. <laughs> Um, but there's, there's there's other ways in which you can support the show, and, and one of those is to go onto your podcast app and and leave us a review. We we don't understand how this works, but it <laughs> boosts us in the charts. It boosts it boosts us via the algorithms. Um, whenever producer guy tries to explain something technical to to myself and Kevin, we 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 just we, we're good at nodding, but we're not too good on the understanding things. But we just we just follow instructions. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't matter. Uh, what do you say? Yeah, perhaps you perhaps you'd like a slightly more surreal price of football show. And if that was the case, what could be better than saying you'd rather have the 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 show presented by uh, former leader of the Teardrop Explodes, but also Druid Julian Cope with Lawrence Bassini? Can you imagine the conversation? How the words would flow if that show went live? I'd pay for it. I'd, I'd be I'd be straight onto Patreon to get the benefits of of anything involving those two. Lawrence Bassini would ask him for a fight. He'd offer, <laughs> he'd offer a million pounds to fight him and Simon Jordan in the. Uh, yeah, Julian Cope is. Uh, I, I very rarely use the word extraordinary about people, but yeah, he's one of those people you're not entirely sure whether he's taking the piss or not. He's uh, <laughs> a genuinely really fascinating man. Uh, but it tells you the sort of fact that you you, you go to Google and it turns out you can't Google the sort of things he's told you because <laughs> they're, they're about they're about mysterious forces beyond our control. Fascinating chat. I loved I used to love teardrop explodes. Yes. What and what? And, yeah. I'd much rather talk about Julian Coke and Lawrence Bassini, but unfortunately Julian Coke's not playing on buying a football team. <laughs> that would be a roller coaster ride if he was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Bye everybody. Bye. The price of football. I'm for the